This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the Friday edition of Talk Back this December 22nd. Yeah. Uh, Talk Back brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get or foggy, uh, Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts has everything you need to make sure your rig starts every single time. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and service at Palmer and West Broadway. Also brought to you by Y West Storage. For pricing and availability, everybody needs storage. Call 406. 406- 6510-0590. Located out at the Y, they're making room for you. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial. You need your home and or your business cleaned. Here's the number, 406-260-6617. No job is too big or small for Phillips Janitorial. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, we're back. This is our number two of TalkBack for this Friday. And we always start, as we do, with, uh, with uh, right now, we have Chief Deputy County Attorney for Missoula County. That's Matt Jennings with our crime report. Matt, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Peter. Uh, doing really well. It's just busy spreading the holiday cheer here in the county attorney's office. Yes, sir. What's going on? We've had a really busy week. We filed 30 felony complaints this week. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean there was more crime this week. This is sometimes uh, a time of the year where things actually slow down a little bit in our office and allow us to catch up on some cases that have been sitting there for a couple weeks. Uh, it might take a little bit more time to charge. So we had 15 in-custody arrests. That means somebody was out uh, getting the police called on them or observed by law enforcement and actually getting arrested at that moment. And then about 15 of them were, were out of custody. And those are often property crimes, things like embezzlement or something that took a little bit longer to investigate. But nonetheless, this was one of our busiest weeks of the year. Uh, one of the things we start seeing around this time of year is, uh, unfortunately, a lot of DUIs. We we always see those. But when we have things like a really exciting Grizz game last weekend or holidays coming up, sometimes People take their celebration a little bit too far, and they haven't arranged a safe ride home. And more and more, it seems like we're getting a lot of repeat DUI offenders. We're getting somebody on their fifth, sixth, seventh, or sometimes even 12th or 13th DUI. And those are things that we take extremely seriously. In our uh, 30 felonies this week, nine of those were violent crimes. Uh, Nine of them were endangerment crimes, which usually involve a vehicle, but they can also be other forms of violence. Three property crimes, five drug crimes, and then four administrative crimes. And that category of administrative crimes this week mostly includes a failure to register as a sexual or violent offender. And then always important within our uh, violent crime category, we track basically who is being violent to one another, what's going on. And as our, our trends always show, a large portion of those are family violence. And this week, three of those violent crimes were family violence, four were uh, non family violence, and then two were actually uh, sexual assault cases that we prosecuted. And so those just get going when we filed. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to highlight this week is I mentioned we were trying to catch up on some things, and we've had a lot of really uh, tragic vehicle on pedestrian or vehicle on motorcycle accidents this year. And we kind of kept these in a group, making sure that the investigations were consistent, that we were reviewing the criminal elements consistently. And so we got caught up on some of those this week, but we ended up charging uh, five different cases. Um, Two of those involved uh, deaths, and they were sadly uh, a death of a 
pedestrian and the death of a motorcyclist from this summer. And then three of them were very serious injuries of car on pedestrian. And, and this is just what we charged this week. But, boy, we've had a lot this year. We've noticed patterns that they are at certain intersections or certain circumstances that are leading to that. And we look forward to working with some of our city and county leaders to see if we can actually prevent these types of accidents in the future. Well, I, I will tell you that uh, unless, unless things have changed dramatically, uh, Mullen and Reserve is still the most dangerous intersection in the state of Montana. Is, is that still true? Well, it, I've, I've certainly heard that. Uh, this is just anecdotal, Peter. I don't really have any evidence, but uh, I feel like it's so dangerous that we don't actually have as many people or as many pedestrians crossing there because it's just not very welcoming. Right. It is a dangerous intersection, and Reserve Street as a whole is where we see uh, a lot of these accidents. And so as we've had more economic growth, more businesses, more people out reserve, and more traffic at high speeds, that's where a lot of these accidents keep occurring. And because of those speeds and other factors like alcohol or drugs, they often do result in death. And so uh, two of these accidents actually happened at the exact same intersection of Stockyard and Reserve on North Reserve. And so that's an area of the city where there really are not many crosswalks. Uh, there's also some un unmarked intersections and intersections with stop signs and not stoplights where when people are trying to enter on a reserve, they seem to really gun it in very short gaps of traffic. And we uh, sadly had two motorcycle accidents there. One of them resulted in a death, and the other one was a very, very serious injury. So that's an area that I think uh, you know all of us should take a close look at. And one more quick thing, I just want to let you know, I I, uh, I have jury duty coming up uh, in in January, and uh, I just want folks to know if you get that letter, I I sent my thing in, and and so I may have to take some time off from work, but uh, uh, on January eighth, I'm supposed to appear before uh, before the judge uh, to see if I'm going to be on the jury. So uh, I just want folks to know that, hey, it happens to everybody, right? It sure does, Peter. You know, interestingly, though, I've only been summoned to one jury trial ever, and it was my own trial. So uh, what a coincidence. Well, I'm sure they probably let you off on that one. <laughs> they they right. did. Well, you'd make yeah. the ideal juror probably in your own case. <laughs> right. Guilty. <laughs> Matt, it's always a pleasure, sir. You have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and the same to you and your staff and to Kirsten and all the others. Well, likewise, Merry Christmas and thanks, Peter. Thank thanks, you. Sir. All right, we're going to come right back. We have adventure historian Peter Stark and Bob Seidenschwartz and Mr. Wingnut waiting on the line to visit with you gentlemen. We're going to come right back. By the way, other phone lines are open. We have another hour to talk about this at 721-1290. We'll be right back. Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. After some areas of freezing fog in the morning, we should be able to enjoy some sun breaks for a time Friday, but with increasing clouds in the afternoon, signaling the arrival of a cold front and some moisture. That will start as rain Friday night, transitioning to a few snow showers Saturday morning, bringing a few inches to the passes and periods of snow over northwest Montana and the I-90 corridor. But valley accumulations will be light, partly cloudy and dry Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Okay, we are back on Talk Back. And again, thanks to Matt Jennings for, for sharing uh, the crime report with us. We appreciate it. Joining us here in the studio this morning, uh, we have uh, Peter Stark, adventure historian, and of course, Bob Seidenschwartz. And Mr. Wingnut has been waiting all the way through the top of the hour break. So, uh, Mr. Nutt, good morning. You're on. Go ahead, please. Well, good morning. The crime report took me by surprise. Anyway, I have kind of a two-part discussion here uh rather versus other brief stories and personal story the second is a uh, both an observation and the question on science 
And the, the little story part is, you know, my, my wife was a Korean immigrant, and she was a hundred pounds of pure gold, plus being very smart. You know, I think this was, you know, kind of like what Bob was talking about. I think it's Bob or Vaughn or something like that from Laos. Uh, you know, she came with a kind of a social incul- uh, inculcated focus on both hard work and education. And, you know, she would get 100% attendance awards at, at her job, which was um, very physical. And and at one point, they even asked her, uh, do you have any friends who would be interested in coming to work? Um, but there was also some Native American uh, workers there. And one day she made the comment to me and, um, you know, it's kind of complaining about it and about their didn't seem to share the same worth ethic that she had. And, and so my comment to her was, I would, I, which I thought was hilarious, but it was also kind of meant as a, a gentle reprimand was, you know, hon, you know, they, they really are Koreans too, but they just came across the Bering Sea Lambridge just a little sooner than you did. Um, so that's that's my story. My scientific observation is in, in range science, there is a principle known as heterogeneity. And that's why you crossbreed different cattle. And the reason you do so is that genetically it produces a more uh, vibrant or vital um, and robust. breed of cattle. Yeah. Robust. And... You know, my kids, my grandkids are Korean and white and Latino. And so I think from a scientific perspective, there's a a, um, a lot to be said for you know it, some of the interbreeding that goes on among cultures and races and whatnot. And that's just kind of my thoughts to put out there for Tom. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the call, Mr. Wingnut. Go ahead, uh, gentlemen. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks, Mr. Wingnut. Uh, good to talk to you again. I, um, I know I've, we've talked in the past. Um, thanks for your call. And, yeah, the, the interesting interesting points you, you bring up and the heterogeneity thing is, is really interesting. Um, and you're saying that your grandkids are Korean and white and Latino. And this, this makes me think of, um, you know, we've of course, we've talked about endlessly politically about immigration to this country, but think about immigration around the globe over the last, you know, 100, 200,000 years. And there's been a whole lot of immigration and a whole lot of mixing. And so that that here in the United States in this moment, there are, you know, a lot of different cultures or a lot of different um, races coming together in the same thing has happened in the past in any number of places in any number of times. And, um, you know, I think of uh, ancient Rome, that that was, a you know, a slave society, uh, a society very hierarchical, a society of, you know, they brought in the quote-unquote barbarians. But th- that was 2,000 years ago. And now, I mean, the Italians are like all one people. And they were probably very different. Okay, Bob's got it. I'm going to. Uh, okay, gently, I, I, said, ooh, I am going to gently <laughs> challenge that. Oh, challenge. Okay. If you go to Italy, yeah. and you say, "Oh, buongiorno," you 
Italians are all the same people. You're probably going to get mm, at the knees because the, well, because that's true. The that's Italians, true. yeah, they're going to say, "Are you kidding, Calabrese and Sicilian and Genovese?" I mean, they they will let you know that they are not. And, and, and this, are, this is regionally. There, there's a lot of <laughs> cultural regional pride. I suspect oh, yes. genetically, they're they're. I suspect genetically they're fairly similar. Yeah, we could drop down to that, but they, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah culturally, but they, yeah. But they yeah. will let you know that they're genetically they're much more inferior, in, the other guy is inferior okay. to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the big point is that, that uh, over the, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of years, there's been so much mixing. Right. And it, right. But it, it takes a long time, and, you know, our culture, we're kind of going through some rough spots of mixing. What What was America known as for the longest time? The melting pot. Right. The, right. The, the, this is where, uh, this was the land of opportunity when there was famine in Ireland yeah. and then when there was wars all over the place. They would come to America legally, right, through Ellis Island and, and all, all the other ways. And this, and they all added their own flavor. The Norwegians, the Swedish, the Germans, the, you know, you name it. The Belgians would, would come over and, and they would have many, many times their own communities, but they would, they would enter in wholly into the American experience. And kicking and screaming very often. Yeah. Um, I have a question for both the Peters here mm-hmm. and, and the audience. <laughs> that is also a modern construct of the United States as we know it. Okay. Prior to Europeans coming into this wonderful melting pot, did that type of melting take place amongst native populations or did they maintain a rather kind of homogeneous existence? They traded with each other. Probably occasionally marriages took place, but to what Peter's describing, was that a circumstance that you saw in the Central Americas and the Americas? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, a big one. One I'm not sure I can answer, okay. other than I suspect there it was some of each that that they were uh, you know separate societies, right? And and they largely stayed separate. And then there were there were also blending, and maybe at certain times just a little bit of blending. Other times, you know, the Aztecs take over another Indian tribe, which they did frequently. That tribe gets rolled in with the Aztecs and brings their genetics and brings, brings their genetics, yeah, down. as well as their cultural right uniqueness exactly. as well. Exactly. Anyway, we're we're up yeah. against a break, and we're just hey, we're just scratching the surface. So if you have a question or comment, we'd love to have your thoughts. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. One eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. Peter Stark, adventure historian. Bob Seidenschwartz, and of course, hopefully you. Uh, we're going to come right back after this. Okay, we're yakking. We're back on seven two one twelve ninety is our number. One eight hundred. Five six eight five three zero. Not adventure historian Peter Stark here in the studio, along with Bob Seidenschwartz and Skip has been holding through the break. Hey, Skip. Good morning. Well, good morning, Peter. Uh, uh, it's it's a little garbled, uh, but I hope you can hear me, sir. Uh, I was uh, I was wondering as as Peter Stark was talking about as early as sixteen thousand years ago these. Waves uh, through a land bridge, I believe, is the way it's being explained here. Uh, And then really fast forwarding to, I'll just first say, 
I, I really hope that everybody has a wonderful Christmas, which is Monday. And uh, when children open their presents, they understand the essence of Christmas as they unwrap their gift. Meanwhile, in, in, in these waves of people that, that moved across the land bridge, can, is there any idea of when they first realized any kind of a, of a religion other than worshiping the sun, uh, but realizing there's a creator or a, a supreme being uh, uh, like God the Father, as an example? Is, is there any, um, any idea when that started? Yeah, I, I, let me, I'm going to cut you off right there. They came up with a God the Father, but the great creator came over with them. So the great creator has been around a long, long time. It didn't just pop up in, in you know, in the, in the biblical lands. European influence on, say, on Native American people with Christianity uh, came from the East Coast, I would imagine. So I just wondered if you could delve into when they started having a real God in their life. And I appreciate it, and okay. have a wonderful day. Uh, all right, thanks okay, for the call. Thanks. Uh, that, that, that's a very big question. It would be fascinating to ask the rabbi, the priest, and okay. a number of other folks, because you just brought up something. The great creator was a part of their society as, as far back as one could go. So whose great creator is really the great creator? Who's the greatest creator? Who's the greatest creator here? <laughs> right. Who's creator number one? Number one. <laughs> okay, well, so Bob and I have been trying to get back to this, yeah. to, our, to our theme of the day, the rise and fall of ancient civilizations and, and what are the parallels today in, in modern, modern mm -hmm. life, modern civilization, if we can call what we do civilization and if we can call what these people did a long time ago, civilization. That, so we were trying to think of some examples of, of a civilization that really did have a, a, a very marked rise and fall and, and try to pick that apart a little bit, um, understand it. And I mean, one really obvious example, which has been picked apart a lot, is the case of Rome. You know, right. classical ancient Rome, and that you know it it rose very quickly and became a huge empire. I mean, going all the way up to they extended through England. You know, right. up in Scotland. Anybody who's been to Scotland, there's the Hadrian's Wall Hadrian's up there. Wall, right? You yeah. know, which is keeping the barbarians, the the Scots, out of the Roman Empire. And that you know, it was literally there's a line of demarcation between the civilized quote unquote world and the barbarian world and they the the roman empire was such an elaborate thing with with good roads going out there good administrative systems you know the baths they had the baths in england you know they had all these cultural amenities but there was a, there's a town in england called, called bath yeah bath. yeah exactly I've been there. yeah have you okay oh, yes. right. go ahead um and the uh but they managed to, to put this all together in an empire very quickly, but they, it also became very difficult to sustain and very expensive. And to keep it alive, you need to constantly feed, you know, it's like feed the beast. You know, you need to, they needed to take more territory. They needed to get more tribute from their, their subjects. They had big slave populations. They had huge armies. And in a way, the more complex a society like that becomes and the larger it becomes, it, there's some way, I, we were talking about this yesterday, 
I think you can argue in some ways it becomes more fragile. And so the Roman Empire, I mean, it, it collapsed, bam, um, because it, it, in my understanding, this is not really my expertise, but it, it couldn't sustain that massive uh, uh, area, you know, society without, um, it just couldn't sustain it anymore. So, so, so did it collapse from without or from within? I the, think it was both. The was, rot from uh, within, Peter contributed to yeah, yeah. what was an unsustainable situation right. from without. You cannot keep people in subjugation for, for periods of time, yes. But the moment you subjugate them, you start the process of what lends itself to rebellion. It's a rare situation exactly. where everybody feels equal parties are gaining equal resources in a fair agreement. It was never a fair agreement when you conquered another people. And made them pay you. And made you, yeah, made made <laughs> you pay them that, for conquering you. Yes. I got a good bridge to sell you <laughs> in Brooklyn. I mean, it's just, and there's so many parallels when you look at empire today. And the United States is considered an empire. Uh, but is it by subjugating people? Some would claim, yes, colonialism. Plenty of examples with European countries. But our cooperation generally is based on business arrangements. You're saying it internationally. Is internationally. That, okay. Is it any different in that respect in terms of Roman Empire, while they may have conquered you, versus a degree of cooperation or advantages, disadvantages? We'll discuss this more when we come back from the break. You bet. And we have a call, call coming in. So we'd, we'd love to have more calls. Absolutely. Peter Stark, adventure historian here in the studio. Bob Seidenschwartz as well. Uh, what's on your mind? We, we would love to talk about uh, this particular topic with you. 721-1290 is our number. We're going to come right back after this timeout. And we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. About 28 minutes left in our time together with Peter Stark. It's been flying by. Harry's been waiting very patiently on the phone through the break. Harry, good morning. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, first of all, I, would say I really like, love these shows where we get beyond the politics and the squabbling and a little more educational. Also, uh, just a very happy holidays to one and all. Um, but I, the you know, idea of you know, empires and... You know the like Rome. There, I don't, I'm no expert, but I've seen. You know, there's a lot of reasons why it fell. I think one is that they just got beyond their technological ability to manage it. I mean, you got you have nice roads, but that you know you still got to uh, travel by horse, and you know the information traveled slowly. You know, just hard to keep that much uh, space under control. And uh, and as for right now, uh, also at those days, you know, you see the empires were all sort of. Isolated, you know, you had Aztecs here, the, you know, Mayans, and the, even the, you know, we don't even talk about the Chinese. They were an empire for a long time, and they were, you know, vast and powerful, but they're still isolated. Where nowadays we, will, I, I don't see how civilization will crumble unless we have a major catastrophe, you know, nuclear war, ast, uh, asteroid strike, something that is a global, because it is a global civilization, you know, every, and it's getting more and more interconnected. If people are fighting against it right now. You know, they hate the world, you know, the uh, globalization, but it's, you know, getting more and more ingrained, and it's going to get be harder and harder to do away with. And it's, I personally, I think it's a good thing, um, but it's, I mean, people uh, get the nationalistic fervor up and say, oh, we we got to be better than everybody else. But the United States will, I don't know if uh, fall, but it'll eventually be blurred into 
maybe a regional uh, thing, you know, the West, Western and Eastern, or maybe it's the one world order as people hate. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this, you know, it's, it's coming and, you know, it's, and it's, uh, the idea, like say, unless it's some very major catastrophe, even I, I, I think even global, uh, change, global warming, we, uh, it won't wipe us out. It might make living a little more miserable, but, uh, I, I think we will be able to, uh, overcome it technologically and, you know, through, you know, the, Shifting of the uh, growing zones and all that. I mean, it's, I don't want to get way into the weeds on that, but uh, it's. Uh, I say, I say, it's the uh, empires have changed now. It's not so isolated. It's a world. Uh, yeah, Harry. And I, it's, um, this is yeah. Peter Stark. Yeah, I, I, you, those are really good points that, that you raise, and and that 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 feeds in nicely with what we were just talking about. That. Um, Empires that get too big to sustain themselves, the Rome, um, and and not having the technology to to you know reach out that far. Their supply lines, so to speak, are you know a couple of thousand miles long. And then your point about that that you know societies around the world are becoming more and more connected, interconnected. And because I was making the point uh, before you called about, you know, as a society gets larger, more complex, does it become more fragile? But you raise it. That's a very good point that you raise that there are, you know, societies all around the world that are increasingly um, becoming intertwined. And so, like, take the example of China. And, and Bob Seidenschwartz here is the, is the expert on, on, on this, on international affairs, foreign affairs. But take the the case of China, that you know we could we can be enemies with China in a way where you know we're certainly opponents at this point. But China and the U.S. and China and Europe and they they need each other, and it would be really hard for either one to survive at least not or survive well um, if there were if relations business was just cut off, and that's I think true of so much of the world that the economy is so based on on all this inner interconnection i was just looking at bob and say and mouthing the words the middle east oil uh, I, 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 although uh who did we have um telling us not not long ago that oh it was it was former governor schweitzer mm-hmm. he said he said the, the the people who have the most oil are not our friends Venezuela, uh, Saudi Arabia, all, all, all these countries with all the oil, but because we need each other commercially, economically, uh, we haven't gone to war with each other. So They're, they're not yeah. your friend until they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I hate to have a yogiism here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but there's constantly shifting alliances and relationships that may be adversarial today and become great allies later. And a perfect example of that is Japan. Nobody was more detested or more feared in terms of what was happening with World War II, of course, and and the Nazis. But they're one of our staunchest economic, military, and social allies. So we we have to put these things in context. And as Harry was talking about, I was thinking about this economically, Rome became over-leveraged. And yes. as an expert in Roman history, because I've seen Gladiator okay. <laughs> three or four times, I know exactly why. No, but, but Rome was forming alliances which, would, which were never meant to last 
because it was based on unequal relationships. I bought your fealty. As soon as I saw your weaknesses, the next guy that comes along is going to offer me a better deal. I'm going to be at your throat. So there's lessons. And one of the things that we started out with our conversation yesterday, Peter, is what are lessons from the past that are applicable today? And one of them is the rise and fall of empires. We may not be forever the United States as we've known it during our lifetime. China may not be as a rise and a fall. These are inevitable, but we don't know to the degrees. Just think how rapidly the United States has become an empire. I mean, in in the test of history, right? Oh, and and it's fairly recent. Yeah, exactly. It's really World War I from that point forward, kicking and screaming. That's a hundred hundred years, basically. Yeah, and, and we fought like heck not to be a part of the international communities. There was an isolationist bent in the United States that was like Wilson, and from Wilson forward, you know, we don't want to enter World War II. So, and and then World War II ended being our greatest international and now I mean global commitment. Who was left that, standing? Who is yeah? Who is left standing? Yeah. So I, I want to just bring this back to um, to empire and okay, they're the Romans we were talking about. So I've been um, researching. I'm looking at some of the early um, Spanish explorers in the south southwest, or like I should say, conquistadors, and. So I've been reading quite a lot about the Spanish Empire. And that's a really interesting one because that grew extremely rapidly. And, and I want to give you proper time here. we got to go to a break. Yes, okay. Okay. So when we come back, you have a much larger field okay. to, to play And then on. we'll bring that up to modern. Yes. Well, yep. King, King Philip of Spain had a map of the world, and he wanted it all to be Spain. <laughs> so anyway. Well, well you just redraw the map. Have yeah. a different cartographer. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our yep. number. 1-800-568-5309. Our guest in studio is adventure historian Peter Stark. Bob Seidenschwartz also here with us. Nick questions and taking your phone calls. All we need is you uh, to give us a call. We'll be right back. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids are facing hunger every day? Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at helpnokidhungry.org. We are back. This is Talkback, 721-1290. That's our number, 1-800-568-5309. Adventure historian Peter Stark here in the studio along with Bob Seidenschwartz. Talking, okay, the phone lines are clear. We're talking empires. Empire. We're, we're, we're solving the problem of empire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so I was just telling Bob and, and Peter that uh, I've been doing the study of conquistadors. And um, so the Spanish Empire rose very quickly. It, it, it started really with the age of sail, you know, and, and the Portuguese were, you know, the first big navigators. Then, then the Spanish, I'm talking about Western Europe, then the Spanish, and, you know, then the Spanish really struck it big in the Americas. And, you know, here were huge populations to enslave, in a sense, or take, you know, the wealth. They started all these, you know, plantations and on and on. And so Spain was taking the wealth of the New World and using it to support itself and, and, and to continue to extend its empire. And in a fairly short time, 
I think it was Spain got way into debt to like the bankers up in, I think in Brussels, you know, they were the guys who literally handled the gold and, and Spain was having to borrow money to, you know, like we're going to go capture another, another region of South America and thinking like, oh, we'll pay, you know, we'll pay it back. So they're borrowing money. And, um, there was a certain point where they couldn't afford their empire, even though they had, you know, they had silver mines, they had you know, gold, they had, you know, enslaved people, they had countless uh, regions of land, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't pay for it. The mortgage interest rates went up. The interest They rate. had inflation and they couldn't make their payments because they were over leveraged. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. So uh, please continue with this because... And also at this time, too, a lot of what they had to pay for was not just them, but the French or the or the English and various other col uh, colonialists because they were at war with each other. Which and was always was, a... War was yeah. really expensive in terms of financing this. And and they had to defend that empire. Yes. I mean, and, and when you think, I mean, think of Spain uh, colonizing or, or claim, I should say claiming most of South America, um, all of Central America, they... they in theory, in theory, claimed the American what West. Hubris. But what hubris? This is and, mine. And this is mine. <laughs> and and there's these other empires are saying, "Whoa, that looks like I know." There's a big silver mine right over there. Mm -hmm. It's under Spain, but I I think we'll go for it. And right. so there are all these raiders constantly, you know, pecking at your shores. So to bring that up to where we are today, and Bob, you were just. Talking about and Peter, the 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 United States post World War One and post World War Two. So there's this kind of new new international order. And, I think and that's it's, fair it's, to it, call it, it international it, order. And it's yeah. it's it's probably more time in any time in history, right? I would say that the the larger part of the globe, more countries of the world are 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 woven into that order in some way. So, so the question is, <laughs> it, in, in my, it, this is just in my heart, okay. in my mind, are we better human beings? Are we better people than they were because they, they had dreams and goals and ambitions and that sort of thing? In other words, do, do, do we as Americans or as Canadians or as Russians or whatever modern people, are we morally superior or, or are we able to, uh, to craft a world where we don't have to kill each other to survive? Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, hopefully we're there now after the horrible world wars we went through, right, with millions of people dead and, and suffering and that sort of thing. H have we learned our lesson that, that armed conquest is not the way to do this? I think you can make a case that the Ukrainians don't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, you could probably make a case in parts of the Middle East right now, in Syria, uh, the conflicts may be lessened, and that's a trajectory that has been true. There are fewer conflicts, but remember, a conflict is one step away from a much larger conflict, and that's where the danger comes in. If it's small, regionalized, it's not good. People are still suffering, they're dying, but how do you contain? That's one of the issues with the Middle East right now. It's, it's kind of a terrible thing to say, as long as it stays within Israel and Gaza. Most of the region and the world is like, phew. Like it's, it, but, yeah. but what happens if these guys keep lobbing rockets in the Red Sea and the U.S. has been rather gentle in its response? If that grows beyond that, Iran gets involved and the U.S. gets 
ratcheted up. And next thing you know, you've got other actors in the region. That's been the fear. And that fear always exists. It's no different with China and Taiwan. Look at where the, where, where the trigger points are. So is it really any different than 50 or 100 years ago? This is just what it is at this moment. Okay, we'll say we're, we'll go back to where we started, or where my mind started, but the, 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 the Mayan city-states. Yeah, right. And there were, you know, very elaborate network. And these are, you know, really sophisticated city-states and very hierarchical. And they were, some would be in, in partnership, you know, allies, and others would be um, enemies of each other. And those were always shifting around. And so I'm trying to understand how where we are today globally differs from where the Mayans were in, say, 500 A.D. I don't think we're very different. I think those alliances can move very quickly. Uh, look, World War II, Europe was at, at each other's throats. They form ultimately the EU as we know it to prevent that from happening. Yet there's still stresses. I don't know if they'll ever go back to and all our conflict on the continent, it'll probably come from an outside source. But also systems can collapse, which can cause calamitous implications. Look at what happened when Russia invaded Ukraine. Not only did the price of oil go up, but most importantly, the price of food went up, which had a dramatic effect, not just on the exporters and revenue, but the countries that were the most vulnerable. North Africa, the Middle East, heavy importers of certain types of grains. Now, if that had worsened, the potential for internal conflict and collapse then could easily and rapidly spread throughout that region, bringing in other yeah. actors too. Well, and, and one of the things that's really striking is that, you know, P Peter, you were saying, are we, are we morally more advanced than we were, you know, whatever centuries ago when, yeah. when there were, you know, a lot of warfare, not that it's disappeared. And one of the things that struck me over the, you know, looking at all this big span of history is that you can have this sort of veneer of civility and and rules and and peace and order and harmony, but it can it can tear. It can um, the fabric's delicate. The fabric is delicate and and once it does tear, it's amazing how people become fiercely animalistically territorially and nationalistic and nationalistic and and you know you can see the same thing you know if, if you're if you're a, a, have a family you know you'll do whatever it takes to defend that family if you think they're threatened you bet so yeah and we're gonna come right back seven two one twelve ninety with our last one minute timeout and Phone lines are clear if you have a question or comment. We'd love to have you be a part of this. Uh, and so, by the way, this is the, Nick, this is the last talk back of the year. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. All oh. right. So there you go. Wow. So we'll, we're solving the problems of the world one by one as we end the year. <laughs> We'll have it done by... I don't know that we've solved anything, but we're revealing... No, no pressure, Peter. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, we've got five minutes. That's right. plenty of time. We're going to come right back after this one-minute timeout. Healthy life. In the last 45 seconds, we've almost solved the problems of the world. But uh, anyway, uh, we have uh, like uh, seven and a half minutes, gentlemen. And so uh, uh, Peter Stark, Bob Seidenschwartz, Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Go for it. Uh, uh, Peter, you just informed us this is the last show of a live show for the year. This is correct. So I say to all of the audience, uh, God bless and thank you for the privilege of being able to come here and have conversation with our fellow Missoulians.
and people in Montana. This is uh, something I have massively enjoyed well, for a, a long, long time. A, a, big, a big thank you to Bob. A big thank you to uh, the city and the county for City Talk and County Talk. And, all, and, and of course, all the politicians who have come on uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the year running for office. Uh, oh, oh, this program is amazing yes. in terms of what it brings to the community. Right. And thank you to Nick and to Peter. Oh, you bet. Uh, a, a great uh, kudos to you. So kind of wrapping things up here a little bit. We do these type of shows because, yeah, we're not solving anything, but we are bringing insight and understanding your voters out there, your people that are citizens that are involved in the civics and the community in the state that you live in. These are important things to have perspective and understanding about. Hopefully you will be hungry for more information. So I'm going to end that and let Peter give kind of the final wrap up here as to this discussion that we're yeah, having exactly. today. Five minutes. Yeah. Okay. Tell us everything you know. These two are putting a whole lot of pressure. <laughs> you bet. You know, five minutes to solve the the problems Empire. of empire. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient and modern. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, what's an overall takeaway, as as we call it these days, from from looking at those empires that, that have risen and fallen and some utterly disappeared. A lot of them utterly disappeared. Some I'm sure we don't even know about. Um, and how, 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 does, how can that inform us today? I was just saying briefly over the break that, you know, we were just talking about how delicate this fabric of civility is. And, and, and it is delicate. And we're in a, in a moment politically in the U.S. where it seems really... I don't know about likely, but very uh, it could tear easily, and maybe there are already little cuts and rips in it. Um, phrase, but the one thing that kind of gives me hope is that that fabric exists, and you know, centuries ago, that fabric did not always exist. That there is this notion in the alive in the world, you know, globally, that peace and harmony. Are a good thing, and societies should work together to 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 maintain it, to create it, and that within a society as complex as the United States and as widespread, that there is this idea that we are trying to work together to make this nation, make this life, and so we're we we're way ahead simply by having done that. But I think at the same time we have to recognize that we have done that and it's really easy to fall back to a place where we don't have that and these ancient societies these ancient empires they they reached the point where they they you know that fabric ripped like in the case of the, the mayas these this you know resources ran out food ran short these city states they didn't respect the the kind of rules that they had among each among each other they things got way more brutal and capturing the kings and 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 you know wiping out whole family lines and then it disappeared and so it was like they got to the point where they just didn't care about the the fabric that was holding them together they ended up shredding it for their own personal uh, either survival or gain wow we still have three minutes Great. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, 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 Peter, uh, go ahead. Peter, do you have some questions? Or, Nick, do you have any comments? Um, so, when I think about how do we today reach our fellow citizens to share these lessons, 
because the student at Hillgate today may become the politician of tomorrow. Right. What did they take with them when they get to that position? The importance of what they represent, the continuity. So have you, through all your years of thinking, writing, and discussions, have you come up with anything that says, here's some basic principles that you would like to see educationally? Well, that's another that's another big one to solve, to solve yeah. in 90 seconds. Um, I, you know, I think that just on a really practical level, I've been hearing more and more about the importance of teaching civics in, in schools. And, and I, you know, I think it was more a part of the traditional curriculum 50 years ago than it is today. I, I didn't, I didn't have it. I went to a school that, that didn't have civics and I kind of I'm bummed about that. Yeah. Well, you know, we had a lot of other things where we studied very various just, governmental just, things. Just, just real quickly, when I was in high school, we we had uh, we had a, a, a current events class or whatever that was called. That uh, we had groups of people that had to form their own countries. All right, and kind of a mini United Nations. And I'll never forget. Uh, the 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 name of our country was Top Kilwalla Blangin, <laughs> and, and and it had parts of that all has of, to be your name. No, no it, it had it had parts of all of our oh, names okay. in it, right? And for some reason that stuck with me. And we we were the dominant country in this class because we were all working together because our names were in it. I mean, oh. I know that sounds silly, no, but but we we had a vested stake in it. Yeah, so oh, that <laughs> totally, it totally makes sense. I mean, that's a complete metaphor for it. That would make a great. Password too. Yeah. Let me tell you. Oh yeah, I'd never remember that one. So uh, Peter, for a small but, fee, one, one minute on tour. But, one minute. But, but I think, I mean, just that simple stuff because it's it surprises me that how you know how many Americans there are who don't understand really how this our system of government and our system of citizenship is supposed to work and how why it was set up this way and the balance of powers and and this the 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 concept hasn't been taught and so i think uh, or taught enough so i think a lot of what kids see growing up and a lot of adults who who don't really know that civics is they see the conflict and the conflict tells them all well, this system it's it's it doesn't it's it's a right. bad system right gentlemen thank you so much appreciate it bob thank you nick thank you my friend and uh, so uh we're looking ahead what what's coming up uh, we'll be back January 2nd with Global Hotspots. All right. Uh, and everybody, Merry Christmas. Happy New Merry Year. Christmas. God bless you all. Yeah. Be, be careful out there. Yeah.